the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we're in a series of messages that we're calling Jesus Above Everything, where we're examining how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 are going to make up our text for this morning. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. So when I entered high school, I joined the choir at Milwaukee Lutheran High School. We would travel around to different Lutheran churches, and we would sing during the course of the services. Usually it would happen about once a month, and the boys always had to wear a tie. And so I had to learn how to tie a tie to be on the choir at Milwaukee Lutheran. And honestly, it was like one of the hardest things I'd ever done in my life up to that point. It is really hard to tie a tie. And my dad tried to teach me unsuccessfully. And so I would have another choir member do it, and then I would put it on, and then I tried to do it myself. And I could never figure it out. It would look terrible, and Josh Simpson would always make fun of me because my tie looked like I obviously didn't know how to tie it. And I didn't. And the thing that I could never master was the tie dimple. I don't know if you know what a tie dimple is, but any good tie tire is able to get this great dimple right in the center of the tie. And if you look at me this morning, I have no dimple in the tie because I'm still a tie fraud. It's still very difficult for me to tie a tie. I'm not very good at it. 
If you go to a wedding and you see that the groom and the groomsmen all have perfect tie dimples, you know they're wearing fake ties because it's really hard to get that. And I still remember one Sunday morning after morning worship service at Brookfield Christian Reformed Church, I was out talking to some of my friends and I walked by my father who was having, I'm sure, a very distinguished conversation with with some of the uh, dads in the congregation and I saw that dad had a perfect tie dimple and I was like, dad, how did you do that? And he looked at me, he goes, Derek, I'm a lawyer. I have had to tie a tie almost every day of my adult life. He's like, when you're a lawyer, you've got to dress the part, Derek. You've got to dress the part. I was astounded. I still am because I can't get the tie dimple myself. I don't know uh, if the dress code at my dad's law firm was informal or if it was formal within the legal profession, but everyone, everyone at Davis and Kielthau came wearing ties. If you were going to be a lawyer, you needed to look a certain way. You needed to dress a certain way. You needed a lot of people to know that they were getting nothing short of utter professionalism from those people that they were hiring in service of the law. But one of the things that I realized as I continued to grow up is that in just about every context, in just about every situation, there are written or unwritten rules of what it is that you are supposed to wear, how it is that you're supposed to dress. When I came here to Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, one of um, the first things I was invited to was Christmas baskets. And if you're newer to the congregation every year, it's this great thing. We're going to, Lord willing, I believe, do it again this year. And you're invited to it. I hope you'll come. Where a bunch of people from the congregation come and fill up baskets with groceries for a relatively extended period of time. And we give it to families that are in need. I think last year we gave away 150 baskets. I don't know if somebody was joking or not, but my first year that I was coming to Christmas baskets, they said, now we work real hard at Christmas baskets. Make sure you wear your work boots. I didn't have work boots. So I went out and bought a pair of work boots (laughs) in preparation for Christmas baskets because I was like, I've got to dress right for Christmas baskets time. And I just want to tell you, you don't have to wear work boots to Christmas baskets, I learned. You have to walk around, but just regular shoes are fine. So I came wearing my work boots to Christmas baskets. They were pristine. They had never been touched. There was not a single scuff on these work boots. And I got made fun of by every one of you, I think, that day. (laughs) I got all sorts of comments like this. Well, you're obviously a pastor with work boots like that. Have you ever worked a real day in your life? (laughs) And then one kind person came up to me. It was, it was Len Camp, and he looked very concerned. And he said, Pastor, people are going to make fun of you if you have work boots like that. And so for about five minutes, he stood and scuffed up my work boots with his shoes <laughs> so that I wouldn't look so foolish. If I was going to be wearing work boots, I needed to dress the part. Here's what's crazy. When we talk about what it means to be a Christian, oftentimes we will focus on the external. When we talk about what it means to look like in church, we often focus on what we're supposed to dress like. And some people think that what it means to be in church is that we should dress like we are an attorney and have a perfect tie dimple. And sometimes people grew up in that kind of environment and they were formed in this kind of formality and they kick against it. 
Others, you know, want a, a Christian life characterized by dusty boots or to church, for church to be a place where there is less of that pretense, where dust on your clothes can be more like the ethos of the church. Or maybe you don't think specifically about dress or clothing, but you think about appearances when you think about the Christian life. Maybe when you think about what it means to be a Christian, what you need to look like, you assume that it does refer to some kind of look, a well-appointed home or a certain kind of lifestyle or neat and tidy children or a life that appears free from distress or a smile on your face or an Instagram post with the right latte and the right Bible verse, we can become obsessed with appearance. Well, man judges based on outside appearance. The Lord judges the heart. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, we're told how it is that we're supposed to dress. And the Bible here cares not one bit for any part of our outward appearance, but invites us to righteousness and song and the glory of God. What this section of scripture tells us is that as God's chosen ones, we're supposed to be clothed with a life and a song that all glorify God. That as God's chosen ones, we're supposed to be clothed with a life and a song that glorify God. And so we're going to talk about this passage in four different parts, about how we're chosen to live and to sing and to glorify We're chosen to live and to sing and to glorify. Let's start with that first one. As the passage begins, we're reminded at the very outset of the fundamental truth that invites us to clothe ourselves in a specific way. Paul here, you see, is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to members of the church in Colossae. And as he invites them into a life of holiness, he reminds them at the very beginning of the truth that comes before that command to dress a certain way. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's in verse 12. And if you are taking a look at it in your journaling Bibles, you can underline that if you would like. That forms the foundation for the commands that will make up most of this passage. God regularly does this great thing. He begins, when he's about to give us commands, he begins by reminding us of the redemption that we have already received. Maybe the most famous example of this, the Ten Commandments. We're given ten commands in the Ten Commandments, but what is the way that it begins? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. God begins the Ten Commandments by reminding the people of Israel that he already is their God and has already done the work of redeeming them from slavery. They haven't needed to obey to achieve this freedom from slavery, this freedom from Egypt. He already has acted to redeem them. God is so gracious that he does not expect that we might obey in order to be redeemed. In fact, this would be impossible. Instead, He expects that the redeemed would obey. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells the Colossian Christians how they should clothe themselves, but he begins with this amazing truth. God has chosen you, and God loves you. And that truth which was spoken to these Colossian Christians all those years ago is spoken to you today. God has chosen you, and God loves you. The love of God, the love that God has for you, 
is not some kind of generalized appreciation for humanity. He doesn't just look at the world and get warm fuzzies as he considers all of the people that fill and populate the earth. The love that God has for you is much more specific. The kind of love that God has for you is the love of a father who has adopted a son or a daughter. That God saw you and decided that he wanted you to be a part of his family. And so at great cost to himself, the death of his only begotten son, he redeemed you and brought you into his family. And he loves you with the kind of love that characterizes a really good dad for his kids. And since God has chosen you and since God loves you, you need to start looking like you're a part of his family. You got to start dressing a certain way. And that's what takes us to the next point, that we're chosen to live in a certain way. The command that we're given in this section of scripture is simple. Put on. Put on. A lot of translations actually simplify it for us. Clothe yourself. But the scripture here isn't concerned that you have an outward appearance like God. That would be nonsensical because God is spirit. Rather, the way that you dress as a Christian is to be characterized by virtue by virtue today's message in our jesus above everything series will continue in just a moment we wanted to let you know that you can download a copy of the ebook answering seven hard questions that christians ask absolutely free when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com while you're there you can also listen to past messages of this radio program this radio ministry is supported by gifts from listeners like you to support this ministry you can give a gift of any amount when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com and click on the give a gift button we appreciate your support as we share this work with listeners across chicagoland now we continue with today's message from pastor Derek on am 1160 hope for your life the scriptures invite us to dress in this sort of way the first thing Hearts that are compassionate. This is the kind of compassion that touches on the center of emotion. We should be moved by the concerns that our brothers and sisters in the faith have. Our heart should go out to them. You know, we live in a world right now where we are bombarded by messages that seek to manipulate our emotions to try to get us to buy certain things or vote for certain candidates. And in that kind of world where we're going to be regularly bombarded by images or slogans or messages that will try to get us to feel a certain way, we should do the disciplined work of making sure that our emotions are so formed that our heart is moved firstly and chiefly by those that we know and love and trust within our own family, the church, that our heart would go out to those closest to us and that we would act for them In kindness, and kindness is actually the second virtue that we're invited to clothe ourselves with. This is acting in goodness directed towards others. It's not niceness. It's not simply agreeing with others, but being good towards others. Sometimes that means that you see and you meet a need. Sometimes it means speaking a word of encouragement. Sometimes it means speaking a word of correction or rebuke in love, but in every one of these situations, acting in kindness means acting with good intent towards other people. Again, this is so different from niceness, and I think that this is one thing that the church really has to get clarity on. It seems to me that niceness is much easier than kindness. 
It's much more simple just to simply agree with whoever you're talking with or to say, hey, you do you or I'm behind you, whatever you do. It's much more challenging to actually be kind, which would mean speaking a challenging word if somebody is walking in a direction that is opposed to the ways of God. But to do it in a way that is genuinely concerned for the other person and not simply concerned with being correct or being right. Kindness is so difficult, but when you see it operating... It's so compelling and lovely and beautiful. Then humility. Humility is the third virtue we're invited to clothe ourselves with. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You hear that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Humility loves to praise other people for their successes. But it doesn't downplay your own. Humility loves to give the floor to others, but humility is also willing to speak when necessary. If you were to meet a truly humble person, you wouldn't have found them self-deprecating in any sort of way. You don't leave a conversation with a humble person and think, wow, they kept putting themselves down in the course of that conversation. That's a really humble person. No, instead, if you were to meet a truly humble person and have a conversation with them, you would find that they are genuinely interested in you. And they're characterized by the freedom of self-forgetfulness that humility brings. Again, there are two kind of equal vices on opposite sides of humility. And, And one is to always be talking about and praising yourself. Man, did you know I did this? Do you know I did that? You know I did this? The other kind of pride consists in being like, well, I can't do that. I can't do this. You know, I really didn't do a very good job there. Because in both instances, the focus is on the self. And in both instances, what's at play is pride. Humility cuts through both of those and instead focuses on the other. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He said that humility is this, that God wants to bring us to a state of mind in which we could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and rejoice in the fact that it was the best without being any more or less, or otherwise glad at having done it than we would have been had it been done by another. Humility is just recognizing the good and being grateful for it. Not self-deprecating, not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less often. And then meekness. Meekness is the next virtue we're invited to clothe ourselves with. And this is simply the quality of not being overly impressed by ourselves. Meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. And then the last virtue in that list is patience. And that means patience. I mean, you all know what patience is, right? I'm not here to explain it in detail because I don't want to try your patience this morning. I'm not here to preach a sermon that might cause you to develop the virtue that you're called to, the virtue of patience. But patience is that final virtue. The virtues that are listed here are all those virtues that build up a community. In the passage that we read last Sunday when we were together, we read about all of these vices that tear down community. And if you open up your Bibles, we can see all of those if you just look up a little bit. All right. In this 2, verse 7, you once walked while you were living in them, but now you must put away 
uh, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. You see that list of vices that we read last time, those are all things that break down community, that destroy it. And that's what we should take off. And what we should put on, what we should be clothed by now, are the opposite virtues, these community-building, others-focused virtues. This is all summed up then by this focus on a love that forgives. Because after listing all the virtues, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a beautiful summary of them. Let me read that. Verse 13 and 14. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so as a summary of these virtues that we need to put on, we're given this, a love that forgives. A love like the love of Jesus. Now this is an incredible challenge, isn't it? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Well, how much has the Lord forgiven you? Everything. And how often has the Lord forgiven you? Again and again and again and again and again. You know, one of the reasons that we have a time of confession in our services is because we need to remember. And every week, we've acted in a way where we need to recognize that we've sinned against God. And we need to admit that and acknowledge it and recognize that as we come together in worship, we come together as a group of people that are just, we're forgiven sinners. That's the thing that all of us have in common. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all of us have received forgiveness by God. And so we just admit that to God when we come together. We pray about it. And then every week we hear this beautiful gospel truth where where God forgives us again and again and again. And the passage tells us that we're supposed to forgive like that. So how much should you forgive others? Everything. And how often? Again and again and again. This is the nature of the love of God. It's the love that sent the Lord Jesus to the cross for you. It's the love that shed blood for you. The love that rose again from the dead for you. The love that has redeemed you from sin. Because of the good, loving, specific choice of the Father who brought you into his family and dressed you in the righteousness of Christ Jesus alone so that you might continue to clothe yourself in righteousness. And then at that point, it just seems to me like Paul decides he's going to keep adding to the list. Because then he talks about how we've got to be at peace. And then he talks about how we must be grateful. At this point, I have to tell you that Paul is reading to me like a parent who's yelling off to their child who's going to the bus to try to remind them about what they need to do for the day. And then the parent keeps remembering more and more things for the kid to do. Remember to tie your shoes and remember to give your teacher that note that I gave you. And oh, remember to be an includer and look for other kids to welcome uh, at lunch. And then also don't forget to be respectful. And if you get any notes, bring them back to me. And by that point, they're on the bus and they're heading off. And you just think of more and more and more. 
That's how this section of scripture reads to me. You know, put on all of these virtues and then forgive and then put over all of it love and then also be at peace and don't forget to be grateful. It's a great list. It's a great list. Let's just make sure we're not on the bus by the time he gets to the end of it so that we hear all of it and we can put all of it into practice. Again, think about how all of this is community building. If we genuinely pursue peace with other people, if we are characterized by an attitude of gratitude, this is the way that we're supposed to dress. This is the way that we're supposed to be clothed. This is the way that we're supposed to look as those who have been brought into a new family, holy and dearly loved. But the passage actually isn't quite done yet because we're also supposed to be characterized by praise. We're also supposed to be characterized by praise. This is what the passage says, that we're supposed to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music in our hearts to God. We're supposed to be characterized by virtue, we're supposed to be dressed in virtue, and we're supposed to be characterized by worship, by singing. We sing psalms and we sing hymns and we sing spiritual songs, a variety of different songs that all bring glory to God. Let's not be so worried about all of that. Let's be concerned about this growing together in worship and peace and gratitude, singing together and doing it all to the glory of God. And all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema in our series, Jesus Above Everything, where we're examining how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.